It is such a pleasure to see everybody here this morning. Good morning. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure to welcome you here this morning to River City. Here at River City, um, at the beginning of every service, we read from the lectionary. Um, the lectionary is a program of scriptures throughout the Bible. Um, each, every day of the week has something already um, laid out for your reading and your studying and meditation. And on Sundays, we read from it as a way to connect to the global church. Um, this Sunday's Psalm is Psalm 104, verses 24 through 35. And it says, O Lord, how many fold are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships in the Levitan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for this Sunday. As we gather together here at River City, we welcome those who are visiting our church. More importantly, Father God, we pray that this Pentecost Sunday is an opportunity in which they can hear from you. Allow each part of this service, from the worship, to the prayers, to the meet and greet, to the preach, preacher preaching, be an opportunity in which they can get closer to you. Thank you for the beautiful love letter you left for us in the Bible. Thank you for being both father and confidant, from being mother and sister, for being someone who is there for us when we feel like no one is there. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and that you are always present. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you just continue in worship, don't feel like this is a stopping, this is a continuation. But today is the day of Pentecost. If you didn't know that in the historical church, it was when God sent his spirit to the early church. And what I want us to press into during prayers of the people is this expression of the spirit in Romans 8. In the same way, the spirit comes to help our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray, but the spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts know how the spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. So as we go into a time of turning our hearts outward and upward, if you allow the spirit to intercede for those who most need it this morning. So let's pray this morning for the universal church as people gather this morning. 
I think especially if we have several people who are traveling. I know Kyla, Michael's wife, is in Honduras. Jessica, Chris is in Ecuador. Becca is in Scotland. So we literally have our people around the world this morning. So let's lift them up. God, we pray that you would be with them, that the gospel would go forth, that love, the love of Jesus would be seen in a tangible way. We pray that you would keep them safe, keep their family safe, and any others represented in our body or connected with our body who represent the church across the world. Will you be with them, be with the persecuted church? We pray for our nation and all those in authority that you would give them wisdom and help them to make decisions with justice and kindness and compassion. We pray for the suffering around the world, the things that have happened just this week for which creation and the spirit groan. We groan along with them. And we say, God, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those represented in our body and in Smyrna who are suffering. I think this morning, just as I look around the room of people I know in this room, their own stories of struggle, we thank you that struggling, that having hope does not diminish the struggle, but it gives us the ability to take one step more. So let hope rise in us this morning. Let hope rise. It doesn't mean necessarily that the pain and the struggle and the brokenness goes away, but we are reminded that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Let that truth, let us cling to that together in hope. In Jesus' name. And I want to end with this prayer. Almighty God, on this day, you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And God's people say, amen. You can be seated. We're going to jump right in because I don't want to keep you here until the afternoon. Um, thank you guys for being here. We love gathering together. We feel like this is important. I always feel like this is important. It's not replaceable through amazing speakers online. It's not replaceable through just studying your Bible. The gathering of the community, things happen that can't happen otherwise. We get to pray for birthdays. We get to celebrate together. We get to sense the presence of God with us, which I have already sensed being with you, brothers and sisters in Christ or those people are, that God is drawing to his table. Today we're going to jump into the passages built around Pentecost Sunday. But just real quickly, for a lot of us, that phrasing alone, the door has been shut, Pentecost Sunday, right? There's a lot of stigma that comes along with it. There are thoughts about it. I was raised in a church that was Pentecostal. Um, there were things that I didn't value about that. There were things that I thought were distractive to 
the message of Jesus and the gospel, there are also some really beautiful things. And I think Pentecost, hopefully when I'm done with this, I'll be able to extract for you what I feel the meaning of Pentecost was. Originally, 50 days after the Passover, turned into the gathering of peace for people for a feast 50 days after Jesus and people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, which became not them speaking in angelic tongues, but speaking in languages of people from other lands present. Huge distinction to make. All miraculous and crazy. And just up front, that Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't get more miraculous than that. So that idea kind of permeates how we go into how we live our own lives. It's not expecting that we can doctor when miracles happen, but believing that we serve a God that in Genesis can create something out of nothing, right? That's the God we serve. And so when we talk about this today, um, I want you to do again what we did last week. Set everything to the side that tells you about reason, and reason's not bad. Set all the things to the side that are critical, because we all have that person sitting at our heart's table being critical all the time. Cynicism is a new, it's the new young in America, right? Cynicism. So I'm asking you to take that cynic and set him over, or her, over here, just for a bit. He can, or she can talk later. Become a child again, just for a bit. Become seven years old, right? Where the joy and the good news of the gospel is good news, right? We hear about when people read these stories in other countries that have never heard before. I have a missionary friend, I've said this before, who has just read the story of Jesus to a group of people in the Philippines who had never heard it, and they're crying trying to get to the Bible. We can't, we've heard it so many times, you're like, okay, whatever. The message of Jesus is enough. It is. We put a lot on it. We try and glamorize it. We build it around personalities that seem to be the best. The message of Jesus is this simple, simple gospel that goes not just to the rich, not just to the poor, not just to the woman, not just to the man, not just to the old and the young, not just to the slave and the free, but to all. There is no limitation to it. And that's the gospel. And so today, we're going to read from Genesis about the Tower of Babel. We're going to read from Acts 2 about the gathering and the sending and the empowering. And really, a lot of people call this the birth of the church. I would lovingly disagree that this isn't just the birth of the church, but a continuation of a story God was trying to tell from the beginning. And this is the part where it becomes ours. So my hope is by the end of today, something in you will want this story to become yours because that's where it is intended. It's intended to live in you and then be manifested, demystify that word, be given to the world in which you live. Does that make sense? That's the story of the gospel. And this is when it becomes people. So a really quick upfront, I didn't want to talk too much about anxiety, but when we talk about the Tower of Babel, the things that motivate the building of this, again, are anxiety and fear. And the fear specifically is that they would be scattered. And the answer or the remedy to the anxiety and fear is let's build something so great that we make a name for ourselves. And that hits too close to home for us. That hits way too close to home for me. I'm always trying to build something that makes me amazing, right? I, I've talked about, right, the athletic accolades that for me were massive and identity forming, like they still mean something. I've added them in sermons mostly just so that you can hear them and made it seem like it had to do with the story. That's how important ridiculous things 
are to all of us. And we live in America, which hopefully we'll see is probably the closest representation of a Babel that we've ever seen. The idea of aloneness or become great. We actually have a slogan, make it great. This is the city we live in. This is the nation we live in. And this is what God does to it. So I'm going to read you this passage, and then we're going to jump into it, and then I'm going to read you another one. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. Your Bible is the app on your phone that says Bible. And if anybody's over 50, it's your actual Bible. Thank you, guys. So, all right. I'm going to start. Read with me. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Just that should be enough to make you go, what? Do you remember this part of this story? The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. Confusion. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the, the whole earth, and they left off the building of the city. And that was it. You didn't hear no more about that city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You just close your eyes with me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that, again, this is a living, breathing, acting interaction, not with a flat text that we extract facts out of, but with a living organism that is the Logos, the Jesus, the continued story given to us, guided by the Holy Spirit to bring it to life, interact with. As we do that today, Father, I just pray, Jesus, that you would bring to life the parts of us that you're putting your finger on and asking us to hand over to you so that you can restore and make all things new, which is your, your purpose to make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to hit a couple things on this. There's an assumption built in here that if they can build a name, everyone will be happy. If they can build a name that's important, everyone will be happy. Which, if you know anybody that spends time building their own name, how closely do you want to be related to that person? That's not even a thing that works. When we see someone trying to build their name, it happens all the time in ministry, but it happens all the time everywhere. Someone trying to make a name for themselves, make themselves great, better themselves. But in this case, it becomes the thing that God comes down to see, and as he looks at it, decides to send people all over the face of the earth. That's, this, is the, this is the part of this passage that I want to jolt you with. We see this as a punishment. This kind of always been the people who didn't wanted to do their own thing. But if you read this story closely, this really isn't 
a punishment. This is only a punishment for those who thought that the tower was the answer. But if you look deeper, this story is the story of what God was trying to do all along, to send his people across the earth. We have this thing, though, right, where we try and build a name for ourselves because of anxiety, because of fear. And this is where I don't want to talk too much about anxiety because I always feel like people talk about it like they know so much about it and we know so little about it. But I can speak specifically from my own anxiety of not being able to control what's happening. Not being able to control this, not being able to control my kids, not being able to control my finances. And the kind of anxiety that happens, actually Richard Niebuhr says that the reason most sin happens in our lives is a response to fear and anxiety. The reason most of us get ourselves into things that we shouldn't is because we find ourselves in seats of fear and anxiety and we have no control over it and we don't know what to do. So the best thing is to do, to do is to start to build, start to come up with a plan to not have to worry about what might happen. And what might happen for them? They might be scattered all over the whole earth. They become scattered all over the whole earth. If we find ourselves building things to keep ourselves from things, a lot of times those things eventually happen, right? It's the people who struggle with looking at things on the internet they shouldn't look at. They're always told, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And what do they end up doing all the time? Don't look at the ceiling. What do we do, right? I love this quote. I'm going to read it to you now. You can go ahead and pull this up. The motivation, let us make a name for ourselves, and the fear that drives it, otherwise we shall be scattered across the whole earth, and the battle is on. Here pictured as the battle being between humanity and God. What is possible only for God, the granting of a name, by which humanity's fundamental fears might be eased, and around which humanity's necessary unity might be achieved, becomes here a project for humankind, independent and counter to the gifting of God. So when we read this passage, the word scattered is actually probably more accurately dispersed. God is gifting them with the ability to be sent to different places. And that's confusing because they've all spoke one language to that point. We don't have a lot of the other parts of the story, but we do realize they're all over the earth now. There's different languages. They happen to be where they're at. They stop building the tower. So the story really is a story about God gifting a people and confusing them. And for me, confusion is the enemy, always the enemy. When I'm confused, I don't know what to do. Confusion here is a gift from God. So let me just start today by saying this. You want confusion from God if you've built your life without him and you can see how it will work. If the plan that you have for your family, yourself, and your future doesn't include him, the best gift he could give you, confusion because you'll build it. And, and this is the interesting part about what he does. They talk about like they're going to get it to heaven, right? Like, we'll build this tower in the top level. We'll be in heaven. Sounds like a lot of our God dreams. Like, yeah, I'm going to build this like branding. It's going to be called JTM Ministries. I'm totally going to like totally give a lot of it to God. Like it's going to, but it's going to be about me. It's going to be JTM. I'm going to get a bus. It's going to be beautiful. We add God in in a way that's not even really possible. So he, I think, in playful language says he comes down to the tower they build to heaven. So he's saying the biggest thing you can build, a tower that all of humanity can build, is still something I have to come down to. And he says if they stay like this, they can do anything. And I'm not thinking he's saying they can be like me and do what I'm doing. I'm thinking he's saying they're convinced that what they're doing 
will get them what they want, a name. It won't. So I have to scatter them so that they understand a name can only be given by me. So scattering here and confusion is the gift of God. So we're going to read about Babel, or we're going to read about... We're going to read about Pentecost. If you can pull up Acts 2, 1 through 21. Again, you can pull this up in your Bible. I'll read it here if you want to follow along. This is in the book of Acts. It's right after the book of Luke. Same author. This is post-Jesus dying. This is them being told to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a day when people have gathered from all over to come together for a festival and a feast. And this is what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly they, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. There's nothing non-fantastic about this. If you're reading this with me, this is, if this happened in this room, we would all be like, game over. Game over. And they were sitting and Divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And I'll pause here. We don't want to be the people that recreate this moment. We want to see the essence of why it happens. We don't want to just create a means for a thing. We want to understand the thing and why, right? Is this beautiful? Yes. Is this the end? No. No. The purpose of the gathering is not just for this. This is a... This is a tool for the goods, and it's good, but it's not the end. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and the sound, the multitude, the sound from the multitude, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Think about this. Each one was hearing in their own language now, from people who did not know their language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these people speaking? Are they Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Questions we would ask, for sure. Parthians and Medes, and I'm not sure if that's how you say it, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Like, what, why, why is this happening? But others mocked, saying, they are filled with new wine. But Peter stood, stood standing there with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you supposed, since the hour is only the third hour of the day or nine o'clock. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he reads a passage from that. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that day of the Lord comes the great and 
magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Really quickly, this is not Panama City Beach on spring break, 9 o'clock in the morning. I think it's important to note, there are things that we would instantly believe to be true if we heard something like this, and most of it would be cynicism. That's not what's happening here. You can bring up that picture, too, for these guys to kind of look upon. This is a beautiful picture of what possibly happened if it were <laughs> a mosaic. See, see history in, in mosaic, which is how we see our history in mosaic. A couple things about this I want you to know. This group is also drawn together, but they're drawn together waiting, not with the idea that we have to build a name. They already have a name. The disciples have been given a name. And the other folk are there to celebrate religiously the rites and the festivals, and the sound and all of the crazy stuff happens. The fantastic comes in. It's not engineered by people. The disciples are giving tongues to speak in 15 or so languages, specifically to people that are there for that day. The Holy Spirit speaks to slaves, to rich, to poor, right? Speaks to everyone there that will listen. They understand it. They're not confused. They're not having to be convinced that now we need to do this. They're having to, to think about, what did we just hear? If that's true, it's unbelievable. Peter gets up, preaches a message, includes the prophet Joel from 300 years earlier. 3,000 people received Jesus that day. They come to know Jesus. It's not manufactured. No one's trying to build a name around it. The Spirit of God is moving. People are being included in the mission the birth of the church or the continuation of what God intended from the beginning for him to redeem his people, to give them a name, to give them a work, and to include them on the mission. This is beautiful. This is a reverse babble, right? This is the reverse of what happened when God scattered the language. But this is the beautiful thing. We read in Revelation about how they're gathered around the throne, people from every tribe and tongue, every nation. So it's not like he went back to what happened in Babel and was like, I'm just trying to get it back to one language. I'm just trying to get the team together again. Let's build our barriers, speak one language. He didn't do that. He always intended to diversify the group. So he sent them, he draws them back, and he doesn't make them here in one language now. He sends a new language through all the languages a language that unifies all because he wants diversity. He wants differing cultures for sure, but he also wants the deeper meaning to be a language that is more heavenly and kingdom, a language of love, the language of Jesus Christ. This is beautiful. You guys should be freaking out. Y'all look asleep. What's wrong with you? Just kidding. Love you guys. So what would it be like? To live your life as if you already have a name. What would it be like if you really believe? What would stop right now if you knew you're not any more worthy after you build a Babel or a pyramid scheme or a company or have a better car or have the three kids? What would you do differently if right now you knew the full worth of everything you will ever be is already there? What would happen different? What would you stop building? Here's the picture I have of myself, because I, I believe more than any of you, I feel like I live in the Tower of Babel. I feel like he's continually shouting to me, you can come down. 
And I'm like, no, I'm almost there. No, I, I'm so close. I'm on like floor 15. And I, and I hear from him like, I guess I'll start coming down. And then floor 11, I'm like, man, but I was almost to floor 16. I'm like, climbing back up. And I don't think there's a way to not be children of Babel and children of Pentecost. I think we're always coming down the tower and going up to see Jesus. I don't think there's a version of you that never again has to deal with it. We live in it. We breathe it. We teach our kids about it. I literally want my son to be the best baseball player in Smyrna. Makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. We are the children of Babel trying to build something that's already been given, and it's confusing. And it's a confusing gospel to take to people when what's already been built is being rebuilt but looks more like us. So Jesus sends confusion. So those of you, please hear me say this, those who are in doubt. And those who feel like your doubt is the reason you will never again fall in love with Jesus, see it as the gift that it is. He is confusing all of us, so much so that we don't know what to do. And we have to throw ourselves at his feet. And we have to sit in an upper room with people we don't necessarily understand and wait on Jesus to come. And wait on Jesus to come and remind us, son, daughter, you are my beloved. You can do nothing more. Come with me. Let me invite you on the mission that will be beautiful because his mission is beautiful. He doesn't live a hate gospel. He's not trying to make sure all those people know how bad they are. He's redeeming. He's redemptive. He is filling. He is making all things new. He is the good shepherd who leads us to places to rest and be filled, saying to us, this is your name. I know who you are. I've always known who you are. Listen to me, as crazy as this sounds, as if I'm speaking to you, as if I'm Jesus, I'm not. I know who you are. I always have. That's not in question. You can stop building it. It won't get you where you want. But if he doesn't step in and you don't let him, you'll continue to build. And all of a sudden, you're 70, looking back on your life thinking, what the heck did I just do? What do I have, a bigger house? What do I have? Do I have relationships that are of essence and meaning? Do I have a body around me encouraging me onto the things of God? What are we building? What is he leading you down the Tower of Babel into chaos and confusion so that you can be thrown again at needing a God who knows? We all know too much. We all know too much. We all have a plan. We all have a way. So he's the God who gifts us with confusion, you will not hear that in a lot of churches. I'm just guessing. God wants to confuse you today. What? Well, you confused me and I'm never coming back. Confusion. In confusion, we do things we wouldn't do when we're not confused. Right? Confusion makes us ask questions. Makes us throw ourselves at other people's feet. Makes me ask elders, what do I do here? I'm only 41. I'm clueless. Talk to me. Makes me talk to people about my kids when I evidently have no clue how to raise them because I think it's super important to be dumb things that they don't need to be. And they'll become it, or I'll hate them for not. And that's my, my bad. I need to throw myself at people who have walked this before me and live in the love of Jesus, not trying to build their own kingdom. Because that's what happens in America. We try and build our own Jesus kingdoms and give him the top floor, and he's like, I'm not even in it. And he comes down, he's like, you're building something pretty, but put, put the bricks away. Right? So, right after Pentecost, do you know what happens? Do you know what happens to this community? 
used to be written on that sign. They, and I'm not saying you guys have to do this because we're America and we got to take steps into this. They sell all their goods so that no one has need, just like we're going to do after service. You guys ready? <laughs> be super fun. You're going to love it. They meet together in homes every day, just like we're going to do. You're all like, nope, I'm already ready to be in my home without you. <laughs> they gather around the apostles' teachings, which at that time was the gospel of Jesus in story form. It wasn't even written yet. And they prayed together, and they still went to the synagogue. They weren't like, and we're done with you, religion. They still honored the gathering of the saints in the synagogue. And God added to their number daily because they stopped being afraid that they weren't going to get what they needed. And they started to trust that Jesus is the provider. And he could then, well, they screwed it up a few chapters later, just like we have continually. But cyclically, he's always drawing us back, confusing us, asking us to throw, himself, throw ourselves at his feet and waiting and seeing him come through. And he does come through. And coming through looks like not me getting my second house in Smyrna or a helicopter so I can travel from here all the way to the baseball park because I'm a pastor and I really need to get there quick. It looks like me understanding that I have plenty. And even what I have, I can share. And when I do that, I take the sting out of untrust and doubt and anxiety off my brother and sister, and I let them see what it's like to embody and to live the gospel message. That's our job. So whether Pentecost happened 2,020 years ago or multiple thousands of years ago, you're being invited into what does life look like when we know our name, we know whose we are, and we're invited into his mission for his name. All changes. The beauty of Christ comes through that. And he, oh, I don't want to, the, the biggest miracle that could ever be had is for someone to be gifted with such a way to speak something that the hearer understands it. Do we know the people in our lives well enough to know, how does he hear? Am I so filled with the spirit that I back off my strength and power gospel and let Jesus highlight how a person can be loved and hear the good news as good news. This is a miracle of communication. And, and language can be beautiful in poetry and song, and it can be horrible. It can be horrible. It can tear families apart. It can tear people apart. Words spoken to some of you of children still live within you. But language is only a tool to convey the meaning deeper meaning. So Jesus can confuse it or he can bring it together. But he's always trying to draw us to the meaning of why he's doing that. The tool is to draw us to the feet of Jesus who has a beautiful gospel. And he's saying, like we said in Acts and the prophet Joel said, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And don't go ahead and throw that with your cynic at the table because you've heard it. Put your cynic back over there and say, Jesus, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me to be saved? What does it mean for me to finally understand what you've tr been trying to tell me about who I am as a child of God? That I don't have to work. I don't have to build a church. I'm a pastor secondary to a child of God. And if I jack those up, you're all jacked up.
And I'm not doing that. I am a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And my identity is established because he is my father and he has invited me into a new family. And it's a family that loves so well that people can tell we love him by how we love each other. And that starts to permeate our whole world where somebody could even walk up and smack me in the face and I don't have to build a wall around myself or retaliate. And I definitely don't have to show them how great I am. And sometimes when I decide to not show how great I am, Jesus is shown in a way that I could not. So, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but we're children of Babel, we're children of Pentecost. So today I'm going to ask you just a question, worship or response team or however you want to call whatever happens at the end of a service when people lead worship. I don't care. I always feel like I have to say the right thing. It's what it is. People are going to come up here. They're going to lead and worship. You want to... So wherever you're at today, don't see it as a loss. If you're confused and to the place of cynicism, if you're extremely anxious, see this place as a place that's a gift to get you with God. He doesn't desire that you be harmed. He doesn't desire to hurt his children. Trust is involved when you don't feel it. It's not actually trust if you see it. Faith is when you don't see it. We're so mad at a generation of people who are doubting, they're actually trying to find faith again because we've given them certainty. Faith is when you don't see how to do it and you make the step. Certainty is, that's impossible. You can be certain only in your faith. It's a gift. And for those of you who feel like you know that you're a child of God. You're tempted to build a name for yourself, to do the next thing. Wait on him. Now, don't go put yourself in a room and wait until you're 90. He's going to be faithful. If you're waiting on him and you're not trying to build an identity so that you won't be scattered, he will be faithful. If you're 50, 40, 20, it might not look like you want it. It might look like confusion for a while. But he will be faithful to all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. So if you'll stand with me. That's going to be goofy, and some of you are not going to like this, but if you feel okay with it, I'm going to ask you to repeat something. And I feel like it is important because as the, as the body of Christ, the world needs to see that we trust a Father that is outside of our means. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this, if you, if you would. I am a child of God. That has been decided. Father, please forgive me for trying to create an identity to become something you never wanted me to become. But Jesus, give me faith in what you did on the cross, inviting me by the Holy Spirit into your family as a son or daughter. I am the beloved. I am His. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the next few minutes, we're going to have prayer. Prayer team should already be up. It's all right. We're working on it. I like it. If you would like someone to pray with you, it's one of the most biblical things that can happen. 
If you're that person in this room, just let that happen. That's such a gift for us to be able to pray with you. If not, I pray, Jesus, in your name, that we would sense the song you sing over us each day as we wake and each night as we go to bed, that we are yours. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.